0: You cannot buy your way in. That's a stark wake-up call to many marketers and organizational leaders. It comes from one of the most influential and experienced marketing voices anywhere. Our guest says that the changes happening in marketing and sales today are more than some trend. This is actually a rebellion, and he has written yet another best-selling book on what we need to do about it. It's Mark Schaefer on the Manage Your Message podcast.
1: Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on
0: in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. Here each week, we discuss three foundational components for growing your business. One, your message, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want to share. Two, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn your improvements into an everyday business advantage. We know it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Now, at the beginning of these episodes, I often like to let you in on why I ask a particular guest to join us. In this case, it's a little selfish. It's someone I simply wanted to meet and chat with, but I also knew you would want to listen in. Today is my first direct conversation ever with Mark Schaefer, although I've been intrigued with his ideas for some time. And I think this will be like one of those great side conversations you might have at a conference or meeting and you just don't want it to end. Mark's podcast, The Marketing Companion, is one of the top 10 marketing podcasts on iTunes and one of the first I began listening to. But Mark also has a 30-year and counting career as a keynote speaker, consultant, educator, blogger, and author. He had already written six best-selling marketing books before this latest one that included one called The Tao of Twitter, great title, Mark, which is the top-selling book ever about Twitter, I believe. He also wrote a book I can recommend called Known, His books have been translated into 12 languages and have won numerous awards. And now, Mark has written something of a clarion call to marketers and business leaders everywhere. Its title is Marketing Rebellion The Most Human Company Wins. Now, until this point, I had not imagined an apparently thoughtful and mild mannered Mark Schaefer as carrying a torch and a pitchfork, but we will see what that's all about. Whether you have marketing in your job title or you're just a professional, who wants to better connect with your customers and community, then it sounds like we all need to recognize we're in the middle of something big. We're in the middle of a rebellion. Mark Schaefer, welcome to the Manager Message Podcast. Thank you, Jim, and thanks for the nice introduction. Well, it's an honor to have you here. I, I, I would like to just jump into the premise of your latest book, Marketing Rebellion. Jump I away. Guess, Mark, you didn't, you didn't get the memo on this. See, with all of that background, the consulting, the speaking, very successful podcast. You could be cashing checks from six previous best-selling books or direct deposit, whatever the case might be. You didn't do that. You said that this book was very professionally challenging for you, that it, uh, it shook you up. Why was that? Well, it really did. I
2: had some fear actually writing this book. And the, the genesis of, of the book was I was everywhere I go in the world. As you said, I'm a, I'm a speaker and I'm a consultant. And I work normally with, with big companies. And I would talk to marketing leaders, and they would say, I'm stuck or I'm falling behind, or the, the marketing just doesn't work like it used to. And I became intrigued to the point of really being obsessed to figure out, well, what's going on? I, I hear the same thing everywhere I go. And my original hypothesis was that technology was moving away from us, and that's what why we were feeling that we were falling behind. And that's partially true. But what I discovered in my research is really that the customers have moved away from us. And so I was kind of going down the road of the book, thinking about, well, how do you, what's a strategy to sort of deal with technology? And then I just came to this moment where I was immersed in this research and I realized I was wrong. The whole thesis of the book was wrong. I had to rewrite it. That the real problem here is that we've lost sight of where our customers are right now. We've been marketing in a certain way for years, maybe decades, and our customer expectations Uh, these hyper-empowered consumers expect something different from us now. And it is a rebellion.
0: You mentioned this is the third rebellion. And maybe you can talk a little bit about through the history of advertising, through marketing communications, persuasive communications in business of where these first two have come from and how the third one is playing out here.
2: Well, something that... that. occurred to me as I was doing research for the book is that there is definitely this pattern since the beginning of marketing and advertising. And in sort of the mid-1880s, when advertising was started and marketing and advertising were, were more or less interchangeable terms back then, customers started to rebel. They sensed that companies were taking advantage of them, perhaps outright lying to them through their advertising. And uh, they rebelled and laws were created through the FDA and the FTC to sort of uh, make it a criminal act to to lie to consumers. And then the the second real rebellion was at the dawn of the internet age. And uh, when I started in business in the 80s, you made money based on what people didn't know. You made money on the secrets. That's how we sold cars or sold insurance or sold a, a vacation trip or something. And I was in the middle of that. And I remember when the internet started, it was terrifying. I just thought, wow, how are these businesses going to stay viable when consumers know as much about your product and your services as, as you do, or, or maybe more? And so the first rebellion was against lies. And the second rebellion was against these company secrets. And the third rebellion is against control. We think we control consumers through a customer journey or through a sales funnel or through our marketing messaging, but we don't. They're in control. The sales funnel is gone. Two thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. And I liked what you said in your introduction about It's not just about your message, but who's carrying your message. And I would contend that today that's almost more important than the message. You know, the classic journalistic questions about who, what, when, where, why. The who, I think, is really important today because trust in businesses and brands and advertising has declined 10 years in a row. People trust each other, and that message has to come from other people, or it's not going to be believed. So that's really the rebellion that we're in today, acknowledging that we don't really control that marketing message and the marketing pipeline like we used to. Two-thirds of our marketing is occurring without us. Customer is the marketer. How do we help that person do the job? How do we create that message, that compelling, interesting, authentic, relevant idea that they can carry forward. And when that happens, then traditional marketing kind of stops because they're doing the marketing for us.
0: Mark, I would imagine that that sense of when you were speaking with professional marketers and uh, with business leaders, and they sense that it's getting away from them. I guess they're recognizing something that's, that's, started a while back and has really just picked up steam and that they really don't control it anymore. So the thought about kind of programming campaigns and and the like it doesn't work and that can produce a lot of anxiety if you're used to kind of scripting and controlling from the producer side, from the marketer side. So now what but the on the other end of the spectrum, you can't just leave it to chance, right so how what's what's a good mindset to approach? recognizing the reality of that uh, consumers, customers don't let you control that message, don't let you control information anymore. But you can't just, a laissez-faire approach won't work Mm -hmm. either, right?
2: Well, it does really require a a different way of looking at the world. And you hinted in your introduction that this is not like a -a check-a-box kind of book this is a this is a very bold and, and risky book. And I had some trepidation about writing this because it pokes holes in a lot of sacred cows, a lot of things that we held sacred in our in our industry. And I think for a lot of businesses, they're not going to be able to make this change. It's going to take a new mindset. It's going to take a new sense of of, of leadership. But Here's the interesting thing that's happened. I thought uh, I was going to have a lot of pushback on this book, because as you say, it it takes a different way of accepting the world and looking at the world and a a resolution to, to do things differently and measure things differently. And the pushback, it's probably out there, but it's not what I expected. What people have embraced the book and they've said, you know, I see this. I could feel that it was happening. I know that it was happening. I just wasn't able to name it. And part of the problem, Jim, with marketing today is we're in this this echo chamber. And we listen to all these marketers and we listen to these gurus and we read the blogs and we listen to the podcasts and we sort of soothe each other. And we come up with these riverbanks of of what, what we're supposed to do, where we're supposed to go how we're supposed to communicate. These are the best practices that are not necessarily connected to reality. And that's what I call out in this book. So if you're a purveyor of irrational reality based on some quirky agenda, then you're not going to like the book. But what most people, well, almost all, all the people that I can see through the wonderful feedback I've had through the reviews, People are saying, yes, this is what needs to be said. This is absolutely where the world is. And I want to emphasize, this is not Mark Schaefer's opinion of the world, and and he's telling you what you need to do. This is based on take-it-to-the-bank research from some of the greatest research organizations we have in our country, and I just present this as an opportunity for people to make their own decisions about where they want to go next. But the one thing that is certain, we can't keep operating like we used to. People don't see our ads anymore. They don't believe our ads anymore. They don't believe much of what our companies say. And we need to reimagine our marketing, reimagine our messaging in this new environment in a way that's relevant to the way consumers experience the world today.
0: Mark, you work with a lot of larger businesses as you as you've noted yeah. here mm-hmm. in the book you refer to a number of for lack of a better term more localized startup fast growth businesses mm-hmm. who are approaching this in a different way and and so you know in this podcast in yours and just across the whole spectrum of the people who are responding to the ideas in your book i would imagine it's it's Gotta be harder, maybe a little scarier for those who have been doing things a certain way for a while or in bigger organizations that are slower to change. Yeah. That's my assumption. I'm not sure if that's what you're finding out there. But are there potentially for smaller or emerging companies, do they have an advantage here? Absolutely. I think they're leading the way, especially
2: companies run by by digital natives by younger people who have maybe a better sense of what's working in the world today i think they look at our traditional marketing and advertising and think who would do that why would you, why would you abuse people like that and so i have great hope really that the young people today are leading us toward a more human centered approach to marketing and i can remember th- this the question that you're asking is it's, it's a very hard one. It's a very significant one. It's one that I'm uncomfortable with because it's, it's going to be extraordinarily difficult for a lot of these big companies to adjust to these trends. I can remember going to a conference and first really learning about this, this the, the trend toward local sort of artisanal products and why this is disrupting these big companies. And someone asked the researcher, Well, if you're a big company, how do you adjust to this trend? And she just shook her head. She said, I don't know. Now, I do have examples in the book from like Nike, from JetBlue, a major airline in America, where they are taking the messages down to the streets in a very human way. But those are definitely the exceptions. And it's going to take some big cultural changes at these companies. I mean, your marketing is your culture. And, it's, and, and culture has to come from the top. There's no such thing as a grassroots cultural change. So it's, it's, it's going to take leadership to really understand what's going on and, and make the adjustments
0: that, that are, that are going to be needed to, to win in this environment. When you speak about the most human company wins and a, a more human-centric approach to, to your customers and to your communities... Mm-hmm. And there's some boundaries here, certainly some overlap. But when we think about human, but also social and social media, there was a, a line in the book. I'm not, I can't remember exactly where uh, I remember it in your book, Mark, but it was when social media kind of descended into social media marketing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe, maybe the social part of the engineering part uh, detracted from the, the human element, can you talk a little bit about where social media and social media connection can help? And you, you talked about digital natives and, and effective use of the different communication channels, but are there some areas where you see it as, as going astray?
2: Well, it's it's really sad to see. I count myself lucky that I was working in the field at the beginning of, of social media, and I could see in the early days when companies saw this amazing opportunity to really connect with consumers in a personal way to really build this emotional connection this relationship and they they really tried and then companies sort of d- you know do what they always do they try to make it easier they try to make it faster they try to lower the cost they try to automate it and they've taken the human voice out of social media, they've taken the social out of social media. And for almost every company out there, social media is just checking a box. I think instinctively as human beings, we can see what works on social media. We know what we like on social media, which is a real human creating a real conversation, but almost no company is is really doing that. Point out in the book, there was this uh, remarkable seminal book called The Clue Train Manifesto, written in 1999, that accurately predicted the marketplace that we're in right now, where the customers are the marketers, customers are the marketplaces. And they said, markets are conversations. The customers are going to take over. All the buying and selling is really going to happen over these social media conversations. And they also predicted that the smartest companies would join those conversations. And they really haven't. And that's part of the gap I'm pointing out in the book, that people still want that. They want to be part of their favorite companies. They want to be acknowledged by their favorite companies. And I get into some pretty deep and provocative ideas in the book, talking about how companies need to reassess how they're connecting the company's customers based on constant human truths, like belonging like being acknowledged, like being loved, protecting self interests. And it took a lot of work to figure out, do companies play a role in this in human lives? And I found out that they do, and it is happening. And that's sort of the relevance we need to bring to our marketing today. People want to be connected to your company in an emotional way. That's why trust has in been in decline because there hasn't been emotion connected between our customers and our companies. It's all been twenty-five cents off, or lemon-scented, or
0: you know, twelve percent more now, or something like that. That doesn't create loyalty. Interesting. And you speak about trustworthiness, belonging, connection. These are all huge ideas, part of the human condition mm. and our very own uh, social nature. I know mm-hmm. you've spoken. Even though, Mark, you've been way ahead on, on a lot of these areas, like Twitter and and um, and just and podcasting and, and and a lot of things that we would think of as tools. And yet, I look at your work and your approach, and you've even stated yourself you're going back to some very fundamental notions, things you studied in uh, in school, and things that you've read long ago. As the intersection of psychology. In anthropology and sociology, mm-hmm. and so to, I would guess, to a grand grand degree, that there is in society as a lot of institutions as as family bonds um, are less strong uh, and less common. Uh, for example, there's mm-hmm. more disconnect, mm-hmm. um, the sense of belonging, the sense of connecting to something larger than ourselves. Nature doesn't tolerate a vacuum very well, and so companies, I guess, can play a larger role if they'll recognize where they can fit and, in a very empathetic way, begin to to help play that role to some degree. Or am I overstating the case no, here, or no, I mean, do you think it really finding in in a much more, as you say, human way yeah. of what is lacking and what is possible in our uh, in our society today?
2: Allow me to be a corporate a, cr- a crass corporate pig dog for one moment and point out that we have a belonging crisis in our world which is also a business opportunity so uh, the i mean the crass part about it is that we have this this problem where people think they're a click away from a connection or a relationship on the web and we're not and the more people spend time on social media and the internet the more lonely the more isolated the more depressed they are and it's it's literally a health crisis this this all this is so ridiculous it almost sounds like a joke but last january the uk government appointed a minister of loneliness in their country so this is a bad thing now if you look at it from a business perspective there's a there's a huge need here. And I approach this very skeptically because I think the idea of community is overhyped. Social media community is overhyped. And I just thought, look, you can belong to a church. You can belong to a club. You can belong to a family. You can belong to a sports group. And you really feel like you belong. Can you really feel like you belong to a company? Or is this just hype? But when I got into it, it is possible. There are companies absolutely creating a space, inviting people to belong, a place where people feel comfortable, where they feel safe, where they feel protected. And it is making a change in their lives and it, and it is, it's creating an extraordinary amount of loyalty to the company and to the products in a world where loyalty is going away. So just from a very sort of business Milton Friedman business like perspective, this belonging crisis is sort of a business opportunity. And there is a place for business to serve a role here.
0: And how does technology, another big issue that you talk about that pace of technological change, which drew you originally into the idea for this book, as you said, you you shifted course a bit. Yeah. But you have this rather sobering line that I underlined. Uh, which I, is, is absolutely true. You said, "quote Today is the slowest day of technological change you will ever witness." <laughs> <laughs> quote. So it it only moves faster tomorrow and the day after and the day after. And you've also pointed out as as I would say uh, as well, uh, the new tech won't matter if the strategy behind it is uh, is wrong. So, is there a for lack of a better term, a sweet spot when you think of technology? automation the things that can make can make you a click away can help you to find out more about your customers that can make it easier for customers to find out about you is there a proper role that you see going forward without it becoming just a a, a poor substitute
2: first of all i i like it that you you brought up that line and the reason i put it in there is to sort of emphasize it's impossible to keep up with this technology. It's just impossible, and it's causing so much anxiety and stress. So we need to look at a different approach to marketing instead of tech first, which we're never gonna understand. 80% of CMOs don't even understand the the MarTech stack they have today. But we can understand our customers, and that's what we should be doing as leaders is putting the technology in the service of the customers instead of making technology the centerpiece of the marketing. We've we've got the tail wagging the dog. So get out there, understand our, our our customer needs, stop doing the the spamming and the interrupting and the intercepting that people hate. Get out there, understand our customers, find out what they love, and then find the technology to support that in an invisible way. Find ways to use technology that reduces barriers between people instead of erecting barriers between people, adding technology that adds friction and adds frustration. Use technology to help connect our amazing, wonderful people with these customers who are crying out for help. So technology should be used in a way
0: that can make us more accessible and responsive and human. I like to approach this whole notion of conversation, Mark, uh, in terms of, I call it managing the message. And so the sense that you, again, you can't script it. You can't try to over-engineer it or over-control it or rely upon technology for it. At the same time, I don't think whether you're an individual uh, practitioner or an entrepreneur or you're in a big organization – you know, you, there's no need to just go into the corner and, you know, put your head down and, <laughs> and, and, and assume a rocking motion and hope that, you know, somehow it'll all it'll yeah. all work out. Yeah. Uh, from your standpoint, in terms of prompting and encouraging the right kind of conversation. So again, we can't over engineer it, but that two-thirds of mm-hmm. the marketing, as you point out, that's not our marketing, it's yeah. happening out there in the world. Who do you point to? Among those numerous examples that you cite in the book, who's doing this well right now and that you think could offer some good examples and models uh, to consider?
2: Well, there there are lots of examples in the book. One of my favorites is Yeti, the, the the cooler company, because it's just so darn unexpected. And a few years ago, I noticed people wearing Yeti hats and putting Yeti stickers on the car and I thought wait a minute that's a it's an ice chest right it's a cooler why would people be so emotionally connected to a cooler that they're they're wearing the brand as part of their body or decorating their car with this brand of all things it just seems ridiculous so the strategy in this new world is not to think of the world as mass marketing or this mass opportunity of, of people waiting to hear our message. Through technology, consumers have the ability to self-organize into like-minded islands. And and Yeti has recognized this. So there's there are a group of people out there who are just passionate outdoorsmen and they love being with other outdoorsmen and talking about their favorite adventures and their gear and their trucks. And so Yeti very skillfully aligned with that space. And, and Yeti really isn't about coolers. It's about the, the self-selected island of outdoors, of outdoors ad- adventurers. And so everything about that cooler has something to do with an outdoor adventure. You can stand on it at your favorite fishing place. It won't scratch the bottom of your boat. If something breaks, you can get replaceable parts that, you know, they, a bear can't open this in the outdoors. And so it became part of the outdoor narrative instead of a cooler that's $12.99. They're selling their coolers for $450. They recently introduced a cooler that's over $1,000 for an ice cooler. So I love what they did here. The company was built with no advertising at all. Now, I think they are doing a little advertising now. But in the first decade that this company rolled uh, its products out, it was all Carrying stories forward through more or less outdoor influencers. These would be guides, fishing guides and hunting guides and, and hiking guides. And they would give out their gear and they would, you know, you talked about, well, if you're an executive, do you just sit in a corner and, and and rock because you're depressed because the customers carry the forward, message forward today? No, you've got to create those stories that are relevant and interesting and authentic and repeatable that these customers can remember and, and be excited about and say, look, these people are part of our island. They belong here. We need to support them because they're our friends. They're creating new value in our lives. And I believe in them. I believe in what they stand for. I mean, if you think of the power of a sticker, you know, I, I, I talked about in the book, I, I use this as a sign of companies that really make you feel like you belong. If you have enough emotional connection to a company where you're willing to put a sticker on a laptop or on the the bumper of your truck or on a window or where it is a shirt, you're saying, I believe in this company so much. They're part of who I am. They are not going to let me down. That's better than any advertising you could ever create. And it doesn't come From manipulation. It doesn't come from advertising. It's saying, I stand for what you stand for. I know asking you to be loyal to me is a a lot. So I'm going to show you I'm loyal to you first by creating a product, by, by creating a service, by creating a community and a place to belong that shows you where we stand. And those people that are behind the Yeti Coolers, the brothers who started that, they're Texas outdoorsmen, they love the outdoors. They 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 live it and they breathe it in everything they do, in everything they say. They're one hundred percent congruent, and that's great marketing today.
0: And uh, as you had said, they had a very good sense all along of who their people are and how yeah. they can serve them and the you language can't fake it.
2: They're. You can't fake it. They you are those
0: people, it. they're on the island. Yep. And they had they had a I guess, a design difference for the coolers. It's kind of this double-walled mm-hmm. deal that gave it stability. There's a story, I, I think I remember the story, they wanted to create cooler that a bear couldn't get into. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's something that is both true and it's easy to remember mm-hmm. and it's easy to share. And, and so I think those are the characteristics if you're thinking of how can you, for lack of a better term, feed the system. Right? How can you create shareable, interesting, relevant, true stories? Yeah. Then that that would seem to be the place to start. And I'll I'll say, Mark, um, given what you just uh, mentioned here, uh, we are not offering thousand dollar Yeti coolers to guests of the Manage Your Message podcast. We'll uh, we'll have our best people look into that. But the um, <laughs> but if you look at say they're single, uh, they're just beverage containers. Yes, it's a thermos. Right. It's a giant,
2: it's a giant thermos. And so the trick was, how do you create a narrative that people will understand that justify a $450 cooler? That's the marketing trick, but it can't come from you. It's got to come from the people who believe in you. A brand used to be what we told people, but today a brand is what people tell each other. And so it takes a different mindset to think we can't advertise our way to success. We can't buy our way in. We have to earn our way in through a narrative that's good enough and relevant enough and interesting enough that people will carry it forward for themselves.
0: Let's have a very clever and authentic segue here. Uh, And I'd (laughs) like you to talk a little bit about about the podcast, uh, which is called The Marketing Companion. And as you were thinking here about connection and uh, human connection. And mm-hmm. I don't know if you uh, strategically thought about this at the time, Mark, uh, maybe you did of the title of your podcast. So it was not, it's not the marketing expert. It's mm-hmm. not um, marketing hacks is nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And you have a co-host, but, but the the whole thing is the marketing companion, mm-hmm. a very human term. It was one of the very first podcasts that that I ever checked out and I blame you in part for Mm -hmm. the podcast listening problem that has now metastasized into me starting this podcast for myself. You and a co-host, Tom Webster, built something really good and impactful and uh, and durable. Now you have a new co-host. If you would uh, catch us up just a little bit on the podcast, let you brag on that a bit, and also just this mindset about being a companion to people who want to use marketing better today.
2: Well, the title was very. We were we were mindful uh, and, and intentional about the, the the title, because one of the things I emphasize in all my books and in my speeches is that the answer to every marketing question is it depends. It's all situational, and I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. All you can do is lay out ideas and lay out options and have a discussion, and I think being a companion. Is a, is a lot more accurate than being a guru or being a hack or being, you know, a thought leader. Look, that's for somebody else to decide. All I can do is be a companion and say, you know, here's what's going on in the world and here's kind of what I think. I trust you to have discernment and wisdom to figure out what's do, what's what's going to be best for your business because you're the expert. I'm not. And uh, so that's how we sort of came up with, with the companion idea. We also like the idea of sort of hinting at um, Prairie Home Companion, which is sort of a little audio variety show. We wanted to, um, we did set out to be entertaining in our show. We wanted to be fun. There's, we, we never have anything that's dry. It's always either provocative or, or, or funny. And um, it's a very entertaining show. It always it always has. I did the show with Tom for six years. Tom is a, is a great, great friend, like a brother to me, really. And it just got to a point where the last year and a half he's he's really not doing a broad marketing kind of job anymore. He's become very, very focused on one area around audio, uh, podcast, radio, and and smart speakers and so he was finding it more difficult to keep up and it was time for him to move on to some other things so he said well you know let's 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 figure it out so i had to really do some some introspection because i know that the show is the chemistry between tom and i so it was a really hard decision to figure out well where do we go from here but i've built a great audience. On the show, I love doing the show. Most important, and um, so I looked at who might be a great co-host, and there really was only one logical uh, person—that's Brooke. And the reason is, is because I've been friends with Brooke for five or six years now. She's a very, very smart person. She's been writing for my blog for four years. She's an incredible original thinker. She's actually out in the trenches doing the work and she's a lot of fun. So I think just like the show with Tom, it it takes time to have the chemistry help sort of forge what the show is going to be. I think the same thing will happen between Brooke and I, but we're off to a great start. I'm really happy with the first two shows. The second show just posted. We're working on the third one now. And, uh, I honestly think this this second show that I did with Brooke is one of the best episodes we've ever done in the six years of the of, of the show. So I'm I'm really pleased, and Brooke is enthusiastic and committed, and just uh, a joy to work with. And that joy will come through in the content as we move forward. And Brooke is Brooke Sellas, correct? Brooke Sellis, yeah. Sellas, yeah, S E L L A S.
0: She's an agency owner in New Jersey. And so I can highly, uh, again, recommend The Marketing Companion. Uh, Now you might be The Marketing New Companion or New Pair of Companions. So have that on your your podcast list, uh, if not there already. Uh, The name of this book, I think that you'll find very compelling. And you don't have to be a uh, professional marketer or have marketing in the title. In fact, maybe it's better if you don't. It's called Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins – Mark, uh, any other you, you got the podcast, you've got the book, you continue to be an active blogger. What are the ways that uh, that you'd like for this audience to continue to keep up with your ideas?
2: Well, quite frankly, that's enough. I just got exhausted even here just listening to you Jim. That's uh, you know I, I I do have fun with what I do. I've been blogging for 10 years now and still have fun with it uh, every single week. The podcast is 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 a joy. I think there'll be a a new energy, a new spirit uh, with Brooke. There, Um, you know, I don't know if I'll if I'll write another book. I never have a plan to write a book. It's just writing a book is is such a huge effort. I mean, it took me two years to write this latest book. It's such a it's a family commitment because you have to sacrifice a lot to write a book like that. And so it's got to be right. It's got I've got to come up with a concept that. It it's, it's, it's really solves an urgent problem for people. It, it's got to create some sort of uh, insight um, that hasn't existed before. And I've got to be really,
0: really sure of it. So I don't know.
2: I've written seven books. Seven books, will there be an eighth? Time Only time will tell.
0: Mark Schaefer, message managers, uh, his to-do list must be pretty substantial. Thank you uh, very much, for uh, Mark, for taking the time to to come on this podcast. Thank you, Jim. My thanks to Mark Schaefer for joining us here on the podcast. And thank you, message managers, for clicking in. Whether you are a return visitor or this might be your first time, we're still pretty new. um, But just gaining a lot of traction and momentum has been very exciting. Have some news to share with you. I have very recently learned uh, from the publisher, Career Press, that my book will officially launch on September the 1st. The title is The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. I'll be filling you in as we go along. We're planning on some events leading up to and then following the launch, both uh, online and in person. And I think we're going to do within this podcast, a series of some episodes, sprinkle those in along the way some episodes that tie specifically into some of the biggest ideas, the most practical ideas for growth that we cover in the book. I'll keep you posted on all of that, uh, including a new keynote that I've put together uh, based on the book as well. So on your way out, uh, if you haven't done so already, please take a brief moment to rate and review us. Five-star reviews are the ones that help other professionals find us and join in and learn how to manage the message for their own businesses. I'd be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jim Carr. And even more importantly, love to talk directly. You can keep the comments and questions coming. You might have suggestions for the podcast. Maybe you'd like to bounce a messaging idea. Your organization might need to sharpen its message and equip more people with the tools and confidence to share that message widely and consistently. Perhaps you are part of an association or a company that would be a great fit to have me visit as a professional speaker. You can email me directly at jim at jim that's K-A-R-R-H, and set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My mobile number is also on the website, jimcar.com. As always, I appreciate your time and enthusiasm for letting your part of the world know about what you do and the value you offer. Until next time, message managers, Thanks for joining the conversation.
1: Thanks for joining us on the manage your message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at manage message podcast.com and Jim Carr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to rating and reviewing this podcast and connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr until next time. We hope your business message is shared well and often.